Dr. Ruth Gertien, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, my friend from across the pond. <laughs> so I just want to delve straight into the book. Um, how did you come about writing it? So how did I come up writing a book about extreme high achievers, huh? <laughs> the book is called The Success Factor, and I'm a social scientist who studies extreme high achievers, Nobel Prize winners, and astronauts, Olympic and NBA champions. And it's because I've been obsessed with success for a very long time, my entire life. I was always curious, why do some people seem to have more success than other people? And how can us regular people improve our success? And I decided if I was going to answer that question, I had to look at the most successful people I could find. Right. That's what I did. And I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that curiosity and creativity was a big part of your childhood? Um, I was always extremely curious and I was never the kind of person that if I got to meet somebody incredible, I did not fangirl all over that person. To me, they were regular people and I was able to have really great conversations with them. And look, I'm a card carrying extrovert. I love talking to people. I love listening to people. So it's all about those conversations got me all the way to the book. Yeah. And the book's broken into um, three parts, different chapters for each one. Can we go through the, uh, the first part, chapter one to three, the personal story? Yeah. So the first part is to explain why we need high achievers in this world. And I think I am of the belief that nobody wakes up in the morning aiming to be average. I really do believe people want to be successful, but we're never taught how to achieve success. So I wanted to figure that out. So I talked about the pros and cons of being a high achiever and why we need more of them. They're, they are 400% more productive than wow. the average person. So if we're going to be innovative, if we're going to be the world leaders, we have to have these people on our teams. They can't be everyone on the team because we need people to actually do the work, not just do the innovation and strategic thinking. Um, we need the people to do the work, but we need a certain number of those high achievers. And, and we've been a bit lax on getting those people. So that's what that whole first section is about, is making the case for it. Right, I see. One of the analysis I took was the what, why, and how of becoming and maintaining a high achiever. So if we can try pinpoint those three things, the what, the why, and the how. So what routine, what uh, credentials makes someone a successful person in your opinion? So this is actually not my opinion. It's the research that I did how to define what is success. We sort of know it when we see it, but to me, it's more than just making a lot of money. Not everyone with a lot of money is successful. So what I have figured out from my research was that success is three parts. The first is to achieve extreme success, what I'm talking about, you have to have created a paradigm shift in the way we do things, think about things, or process things. We are doing things differently today because of something this person has done before us. So that's the first part. 
The second part is as they start getting more and more successful, they are bringing other people up with them because they realize that a light on someone else does not detract from the light on them. And then the last part is when they've reached the peak of their success, they pay it forward. They're either mentoring in a one-on-one -on -one or one-to-many model, but they're always trying to help the next generation. So that's the three parts to what makes a successful person. So if we can get that, if we can get these people who do the paradigm shifts and help pay it forward and bring other people up with them, if we can create more of those people, we're going to have a more successful society. That's quite the, the harmonious um, the way to look at it as well. Because uh, some people that I have spoken to previously, they have a negative connotation with successful people. They almost think that it's, uh, they divide them away. You know, the rich and powerful are against us all the time. And I can never be successful because of different reasons. Um, in there is a question, which I wanted to ask you. Uh, you said most of the book was to try figure out how everyone can become successful. So you've given us points there. Can you give us some examples of people that have come from average and have managed to achieve success? Sure. One of the people who I talk about in the book, because I, while I talk about some very successful and famous people who are famous in their fields, there's also some people who are the average person who did extraordinary things. So for example, I discuss Janice Lentz, who was a mom, is a mom and her daughter was severely hearing impaired and was diagnosed at the age of two or three. And the doctor said, oh, don't worry, you could put her in a special school. And Janice said, I don't think so. She, because she knew what the limitations of those schools were. And she said, it's easier for me to change the world to accommodate my daughter than have to have my daughter accommodate herself to the world. So she went on a 25 year expedition to change the world. She brought induction loops to the United States, which allows people with hearing aids to put it on a setting so that they can hear better. And she brought them to Broadway theaters and museums and uh, New York taxis and um, baseball stadiums, all these kinds of places. And she did that as a mom. And because she was so passionate about helping her daughter and not having her daughter's future limited by what other people thought was acceptable. So these are ordinary people who do extraordinary things and there are lessons from their lives that we can definitely emulate. That's powerful because it comes from why and Janice's daughter was her why. Do you have any advice for someone that isn't got a why? Yeah, haven't found their why. Everyone has a why. The thing is not everyone has found their why. It's what I call their passion. And our passions change over time, especially when we have transitions in our lives, a new child, a new partner, a new home, a new job, a pandemic. So when I coach people, I take them through something called a passion audit. A passion audit is a simple three column exercise to differentiate between what they're good at and what they're not good at and what they enjoy doing and what they don't enjoy doing and what parts of their job they would give away and what they would do for free if they could. So 
you know, it, one of the things I have this quote over my desk and I'm looking at it right now, it says, we don't get burned out because of what we do. We get burned out because we forget why we do it. And one of the things I try to do is help people remember their why, remember why they do it. So if your listeners are eager to find out what their passion is, even if they've never found it before, or they think it might have changed in some way, I put a resource for them on my website. They are free to download. Uh, just go to ruthgotian.com slash passion audit, one word. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. And I'll link that in the description of this video as well. You touched on burnout. That was actually going to be one of the questions towards the end, which was, do high achievers experience burnout? Yeah, they're human. Of course they experience it, right? When you get so into what you're doing, you do get burned out. But I think one of the things that these high achievers realize is the need for balance and the need to surround themselves with people who can hold them accountable to that balance and to remind them of their why. And those are the teams of mentors that they have around them. And, you know, just this morning I was talking to an Olympian and I said, okay, you know, it's an Olympian I'm coaching. And I said, okay, you have to do this, 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 and this. And he said, I am not a workaholic. I got two Olympic medals without being a workaholic. I can do this with some balance. He was right. That's incredible. Firstly, it's incredible that you just said so casually, I was talking to an Olympian this morning. <laughs> I was talking to a construction worker this morning. <laughs> um, and secondly, it's, it's incredible that they can... Um, sustain such a level of balance again one of the other questions that you've already took out of my mouth was a work-life balance because how i see it this is a bit of a long question needs a slight intro mm -hmm. my beginner mindset into becoming a high achiever um, or at least dreaming of becoming a high achiever is you either have to work exceptionally hard at everything in your domain mm -hmm. so much so yeah. that you're overpowering the competition or you leverage the biggest levers possible, like the 80-20 principle, and have the maximum benefit. And in there, it doesn't really add work-life balance. No, I, I think one of the things that we need to do, it's not about the balance. Look, if I'm training for the Olympics, there's not much balance right before that, right? Because you're so super focused. But um, there are things that they can do in between one of it is leverage peak performance hours. So this is in our world. What does that mean? And this was, I took the lessons from these high achievers and, and what I try to do, which is the third part of the book is teach people how to implement what I have learned the lessons. So we all have the hours of the day that are our peak performance hours. So you're a morning person, you're a night owl, whatever it is, right? So that's why all the habits of wake up at 5 a.m., forget about it. It's not true. If you're a night owl, you're not waking up at 5 a.m. But if you are a morning person, as I am, you have those peak performance hours when you are at your most focused. And for me, that's the morning. So those are the hours that I want to focus on what takes the most mental energy the writing, the editing, the reading critically, that's for me in my world, what takes the most, the exhausting part, the mentally draining part, because I have to super focus on it so much. 
Um, and then I leave the Zoom meetings, the podcast interviews, the social media, all that other stuff for the afternoon when my brain starts getting a little bit slower and a little bit more sluggish. And I'm not able to hyper-focus the way I am in the morning. Once I figured out those hours of the day that I can hyper-focus, I guard those like Fort Knox. I want to make sure that I'm not including any passive tasks during those peak performance hours. And that is how you can increase your productivity. That is mind-blowing for someone like myself that has not come across any of this until uh, reaching out into your world, reading and uh, absorbing your content. And it's phenomenal as well because it gives me the, the memory of people that I've been around that have said at certain times of the day uh, a similar situation. I was a personal trainer for many years. And one of the things we were teaching our clients was you're probably not going to have a Mars bar first thing in the morning but you probably will have it after dinner in the evening when your wind power has gone down. And from what you've said, your body is adapting different ways and having the clarity to pinpoint what hours are the best for what tasks. That's, that's super powerful. That's something I'm going to be taking away. Yeah, but you guard those hours. Guard those hours. So if you have control over your schedule, right? Don't do passive tasks during your peak performance hours. You are burning time if you do that. Be careful. That's my warning for everyone. And you, I swear you will see your productivity improve. Wow. I'm going to tell my partner right now about this because she needs to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> and this was actually one compliment that take it as you will from myself, but um, one compliment hearing other podcasts that you've been on and like your TED Talk, I know that's heavily practiced. But even now in the 15 minutes we've been talking, your calmness, your clarity in speech is, is remarkable. Did you have to do certain courses or train for this? Or are you naturally gifted in speech? You know, it's interesting. Um, I was one of those people who's, who've always had a leadership role. I mean, since the fourth or fifth grade, which means you have to hold meetings, which means you have to know how to organize your thoughts and lead a group. But the best course, I have a bunch of degrees, the best course I have ever taken was during my last semester senior year of college. It was a public speaking course in the theater department. And I have been public speaking for a very, very long time. I do 50 keynotes a year at least, but this made it perfection. This distilled my message, made sure I wasn't fidgeting, made sure that my voice um, was powerful when it needed to be and quiet when it needed to be. And that was a course, that course and the typing course I took in high school might have been the two best courses I have ever taken <laughs> because they were so useful, right? Now I wrote a book, The Success Factor. If I had to type with just two fingers, it would have taken forever. But I took a typing class in high school, which now, 35 years later, is still useful to me. And I guess that understanding of what skills you need to progress to the next level is also a big part of what you found. Well, it, it is, but also, I don't know what I don't know, right? And all these high achievers who I interviewed, they don't know what they don't know. But we're not afraid to say, 
I don't know. So high achievers surround themselves with a team of mentors who can guide a path for them, tell them some things they should consider doing them, hold them accountable. And I think that's one of the things that's so necessary. And my God, if astronauts and Nobel Prize winners and Olympians surround themselves with coaches and mentors, why do the rest of us think that we don't need that? What are some ways that someone like myself can find those mentors? I'm presuming we can't just go to someone and say, you're rich, can you teach me? (laughs) But see, but that's not what you want to learn. It's not, I want to be rich. It's, I want to learn how to make the right decisions right? It's not about rich. It's about making the right decisions. It's about making connections that other people don't yet see. And the way you're able to do that is by opening your mind up to new knowledge, which is the fourth element of success that I talk about in the book. And the way to do that is by reading and talking to people and listening to podcasts. Hopefully everyone who's listening is learning something new here today and watching videos or take the LinkedIn learning courses. I have a bunch there for anyone who's interested. Go watch TED Talks. You mentioned I have one of those too. By doing that and listening to different people, you are going to start hearing different things and then you're going to start making those connections. And then you start reaching out to people who you think could help you in whatever it is that you feel you need help with. It has to be very, very contextual. You can't say to someone, can you help me with my career? Well, where do I start with that? But if you say something specific, then people will want to help you. So I want to give your readers two more resources. Um, I tell people I'm the professor I always wanted and never have. I give people resources in in different versions and formats because maybe something will resonate. Um, So the one thing is uh, for people who want to develop their own mentoring team, there's, um, I put a a resource and there's links to a bunch of articles that I wrote on it. Again, it's on my website, ruthgotian.com slash mentoring team. And for people who want to know how to have these conversations with people, how to start conversations with strangers, which seems to be the hardest thing for people, um, I have a resource for that too. It's ruthgotian.com slash conversation. And that's what got me to meet astronauts and Nobel Prize winners and Olympic champions. When you've met all of these high achievers, have you found uh, personality traits that were key to their success? One of the things, um, so obviously they're resilient and hardworking and, and all of that. But really what's fascinating to me, and this is the second element of success, is the way they overcome challenges. So it's not about, are they introverted or extroverted? It's the way they approach challenges. We all have challenges in our lives, all of us, right? But when they see a challenge, they ask themselves, what is the strategy I haven't thought of yet? So instead of making the solution up to someone else, they are now in the driver's seat. 
because they have now taken control of the situation. And I think if we can start doing that, then I think it'll elevate all of our success. Right. That's quite powerful. It gives a responsibility to the person themselves and not externally. I really like that. That's great. Um, we spoke about one of the levers that an average person like me can focus on, which is blocking our time to be the most productive in the certain ways. Once that's achieved, what then? <laughs> well, I think one of the things that people need to focus on is always having goals and holding yourself accountable for those goals. So my goals literally fit on a three by three paper, right? And it's not my goal in five or 10 years, it's my goals for the next year. There's usually three or four of them. And every time I am asked to do something, I ask myself, will it take me closer or further away from those goals? And that's how I'm able to make a decision about whether I'm going to do it or not. Because if it gets me closer, it's worth having a second thought on it. And if it's not, the answer is usually no. And once I've trimmed off all the fat, I was able to get closer and closer to my goals so much so that I achieved my 2025 goals uh, by the start of 2023 because you become laser focused on it and then it was time to make new goals. Taking note on that and also finding that in your resources, that, that makes me think of a quote about hyper-responsibility um, and it's putting it on the person and not the external world. It's not the external world's fault, you're the way you are. Um, and that reminds me of a saying which was, you managed to achieve, what are your five-year goals? And why can't you do that in one year? What processes can you take to do that? Um, another interesting point I've heard, which does have a question at the end of, as well, which is um, if you take a billionaire out of their environment, no friends, family, put them in a new environment, chances are they'll probably get back to that level of success. And in the same way, if we bring someone average and then the same thing. So it's not experiences, it's more wisdom. Uh, am I writing saying that leads to someone getting that achievement? It is. And it's also who you surround yourself with as well. So for example, we were talking about Olympians before, right? I am not a gym rat. I don't enjoy going, which is why it's very hard for me to really, you know, go all out when I go to the gym. Well, yeah. I know Olympians, so I made sure they hold me accountable. <laughs> And when you have an Olympian holding you accountable, you're not going to, you know, phone it yeah. in. You're going to do better work. I'm not going to do it at the Olympic level, right? Yeah. That's not my goal. But it improved my goal because what happens is what you consider average starts to increase. And your average, your baseline gets higher and higher as you surround yourself with people who are more successful right. than you. And if you can start doing that again, you will see your success improve. Wow. So surround yourself with nine Olympians, you're likely to become the 10th. <laughs> but I don't want to be the 10th. I just want to have a better workout. 
<laughs> right. And that goes back to finding your specific goals and your very specific reasons why someone is your mentor. But um, you said you have some of these questions that we can ask ourselves in your resources. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's actually the mentoring team, ruthgotian.com slash mentoring team will help you formulate your own mentoring team. There's all the description and a lot of details um, and other resources in the book and the success factor. But if you want to do the quick and dirty, figure out how to develop your own mentoring team, the resources is there on my website. Um, and it'll tell you about the types of people who should be on your mentoring team, the questions that you should start asking yourself and other people. Um, and please, please, please don't go out randomly and ask people to be your mentor. No, that's never a great idea. It doesn't work. <laughs> so I've realized we've got half an hour in and we've not even defined what success is. What in uh, ah, your opinion? Was... We did. It's the first, it's the, the thing we discussed at the beginning, it, that paradigm shift, you pull other people up with you yes. and you pay it The forward. three things. Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. And um, That's right. from the people that you've interviewed, how key is gratitude and respect towards other people? Is that a big part? It was huge. And what I was so impressed with was how humble they are. Really? And, and I'll, I'll give you a, a story. When the book launched uh, in January uh, 2022, um, it was the middle of a pandemic. We just started getting the vaccines out. And I had a virtual book launch party where everyone who was featured in the book was invited to the book launch party. Now I knew all of them, but they didn't know each other. So this was kind of like a big deal, right? The Olympian meets the astronaut, right? Etc. So one of the astronauts texted me an hour before the event. And he said, Oh, will Dr. Tony Fauci be there tonight? Dr. Fauci, he was, uh, in the United States, he was the head um, at the National Institutes of Health of our National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. He was leading the America's COVID response. And I said, no, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. The Omicron virus just came out. Uh, I think he's a little busy right now. I don't think he's going to book launch parties. I said, but this Nobel Prize winner will be there. And they actually work together in the 60s. They're good friends. So the astronaut said to me, Nobel Prize winner. Wow. Now that's a high achiever. And I said to the astronaut, you are an astronaut. You went in a tin can to space. I think you count as a high achiever. So the astronaut said to me, everyone I know is an astronaut. So it's no big deal. That's just the job you have. He said, but I've never met a Nobel Prize winner. So I told the story to the Nobel Prize winner after. And I said, and I told him the story. And he said, that's really interesting because I know a lot of Nobel Prize winners. It's no big deal. We see each other all the time. We talk, we collaborate. 
but I've never met an astronaut and I think they're really cool. So I said, okay, I know how to fix that. But you see, when everyone around you does what you do, it becomes no big deal, right? It becomes the norm. So my goal in life, the definition of success I use for myself is if I can make average, not what we shoot for, I want to make that the floor, not the ceiling. And I think the way to do that is to surround yourself with all of these incredible people who get you to think differently and get you to raise your idea of what average can be. So I want to be in that situation where achieving that level of success is no big deal because everyone around me is doing it. An amazing position to be in and one we should all strive for, definitely. And from these people that you've interviewed, was the rewards the main part of their motivation? Never. So there's something called intrinsic versus the extrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation is the awards, rewards, promotions, the medals, the bonuses. That's when other people judge you. So when other people judge you, you will, it's, it's hard to maintain. So you will either burn out or fail out. But when it comes from within, this is what you love to do. This is what you were put on this earth to do. You can't not do it. You love doing it. You have to do it. So while the extrinsic could be the short-term motivator, it's hard to maintain long-term. And if you think about it, I don't know if a single Nobel Prize winner who quit doing science just because they won the Nobel Prize. If anything, they doubled down and did more. Right? And that's why almost every single Olympian whom I've interviewed, they do not have their medals on display. Yeah. Yeah, but well, they all say it's a chapter in my life, not the entire story. That's right. No, I mean, they sleep with it the night they get it, right? Because it's dream fulfilled. But then they, you know, put it away in a, you know, a safe, in the nightstand, several gave it to their parents um, because it wasn't about that. That's incredible. And to circle back to something you touched on earlier, um, how your passions can change. Uh, when I was growing up, always wanted to be a footballer, managed to achieve a low-level professional uh, in Belgium. And once I achieved it, it was this a very diluted, I would imagine, same uh, sense where you think oh okay well now what now you need a new goal exactly yeah and then transfer into another question from these people in your opinion um if you're a spokesperson for the high achievers here oh yeah, yeah. sure <laughs> <laughs> um it's a deep question but when they look back on their life how would you imagine them to see their key points what would be some of the key milestones in their life? For them, I think the, the pivotal moments for them were not their successes. It was their failures. And that surprised me. But the reason it was their failures is because in each and every one, there was a lesson to be learned. 
and they worked hard on understanding those lessons. And as I thought about that, I said, you know, every athlete who I know runs to their coach and runs to see the replay of what they did because they know that they can always make tweaks and make it better. And that's what it's all about. We tweak yeah. as we go. So how can you then get out of the mindset of thinking failure is bad? Failure is data. Data. I like that. It's data. It teaches us something. Look, if you made a stupid mistake, that's on you. But everything else, you learn from it. It's a learning moment. And that's what it's all about. There's something to be learned so that we can improve. Iterate, improve. Iterate, improve. Wow. So if you think back now, Ruth, about all of your failures and lessons, if you had just a one-minute conversation, phone call with a 10-year-old, Ruth, what would uh, mm. what lessons would you distill down to her? The lesson I wish I learned earlier, there's two lessons. Don't let someone else define what your success will look like. And the second one is don't like, don't let anyone else take credit for your work. Learn that the hard way. Yeah, I like those. Yeah. I'm seeing how I can use them in my, my life now. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ruth, thank you very much. Where you've mentioned your website. Have you got any social medias we can follow? Sure. All the social media is just my name, Ruth Gotian, G-O-T-I-A-N. The book is called The Success Factor. And um, if you go on the social media, I, I write a lot for journals such as Forbes and Psychology Today and Harvard Business Review. So if you connect with me on social media, you'll get to see those articles because I usually share them when they come out. I think I've heard one of those before. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Dr. Gautier, thank you very much for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.